This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello and welcome or welcome back to Self Work. Today we have a very special guest, Annalise Lawton, who is the author of the new book, Welcome to the Jungle, which chronicles her journey through motherhood as she navigates her struggles with mental health and other life trials. We have actually something in common. She'd also had a parotidectomy, which we talk about here on this episode. But she's a small-town mom whose literary journey began when a Facebook post on motherhood and mental health went viral. That post was actually translated into seven different languages and got a huge number of shares and views and eventually landed her a book deal. So she takes us on a very real stark and what she calls unfiltered journey of self-discovery about motherhood and as she faces many unexpected experiences and traumas. But hopefully she wants to encourage conversations about topics on maternal mental health, marriage and wellness, which there's frankly just not enough information about. So I very much enjoyed Annalise and I hope you will too. This wraps up our February relationship episodes, and I hope you've enjoyed them. Before we go on, let's first hear from another great sponsor of Self Work. What better time than now to decide that you're going to do something for yourself in 2023 that will only add to your sense of well-being, where you can begin every single day with an act of true self-care, not a bubble bath, not even a therapy session. But by drinking one glass full of 75 high-quality minerals, vitamins, probiotics, adaptogens, and whole food source superfoods, which support everything from your gut to your immune system to your energy level. I use it every day and love this habit because if you're like me, self-care can get lost in a day full of kids, work, meals, and whatever else comes along. AG1 knows that people who listen to self-work are seeking to make their lives better. So Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five travel packs with your first purchase. Become your own green machine in the first hour you're up and around. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash self-work. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash self-work to take ownership of your health in 2023 and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. So let's get right to my conversation with Annalise Lawton. I'm so excited for self-work listeners to be able to get to know Annalise Lawton. She's the author of Welcome to the Jungle, which came out in September of 2022. And I'm delighted to have you on. You and I were just talking about the fact that we both had prodidectomies, which is kind of unusual. Yeah. Yes, I know. I... It was because we were supposed to record back in December. Yeah. And then I got an email saying that you had to go in for surgery and that... um, there was a possibility of it impacting your speech. And I just like this red flag went off and I was like, is it, is it the parotid gland? And then I couldn't believe it. I've never met anyone else who has been through it. Yeah. I was reading this morning 
about how, you know, there's a lot of trepidation about possible facial paralysis or something like that. And often it doesn't happen for a great, you know, many people, but it does happen for some. So, yeah. And we were just saying, I, I really came back pretty strong, but, but you said you had some complications. Yeah, I found the recovery real like I almost found the recovery harder than my C-section recovery to be Whoa. completely honest. It was very painful. Um I don't know if it's because I had a a naughty a, a 10-month-old and a just turned 2-year-old at home. Um, yeah, I think that probably had something to do with it. Yeah, and I'm not sure if you came home I'm sure you came home with a drain in yeah. your Yeah, so my kids were yanking on my drain and um <laughs> The drain ended up having to be left in like a week longer than it was supposed to. So it was a, a long and painful recovery. No, my 28-year-old son was very careful and <laughs> oh, he was very particular about making sure that, you know, that the wound was kept clean and but. he's an engineer. So he was like... <laughs> My husband's an engineer and he was obsessed with taking care of the drain. Like he was, he took, it was his responsibility. It was, yeah. It it must be an engineer kind of thing that that's something they can do. Engineers are a rare breed of human for sure. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you and I are both okay and that there wasn't any malignancy and that's what's really important. And, exactly. And, so, and I'm so glad to be back on self-work. Yeah. I'm glad to have fun. you as a guest. I enjoyed your book. Um, I was Thank thinking you. this morning, you know, really, I think I read it with three different hats on. Okay. My hat as a, as a, as a mom. Mm-hmm. My hat as an author and my hat as a psychologist. Okay. So, um, first of all, tell self-work listeners about who you are and and how you began to write about this and i was just looking at your facebook page this morning too so yeah um, kind of tell us a little background about annalise for sure and now now that you've said that i'm really interested to hear what your perspective is on the book from from wearing those three hats but yes so i um my background is actually in environmental management and sustainability. I used to wow. work on permitting applications for roadways and oil pipelines and, and all kinds of crazy stuff that wasn't necessarily fulfilling and wasn't necessarily for someone who really loves nature and like finds their home and, and peace in nature. Being a part of the team that was like destroying that was a little bit hard for me. Yes. Um, So I wasn't feeling totally fulfilled. And as part of those jobs, I did a lot of writing, but a lot of it was public memos and newspaper articles and and that sort of stuff. It never really had a lot of heart in it. Mm -hmm. Um, But writing was always something I loved. And when I got pregnant with my first son, we found out he had a soft marker for Down syndrome and he also had fluid on his brain. Um, We found this out two days after our 12-week ultrasound. So we went for our 12-week ultrasound, saw that our baby looked healthy, announced the pregnancy to everybody mm-hmm. um, on Facebook, like people people do. And um, two days later, got a phone call into my doctor's office saying that they found an abnormality with our baby. He had a soft marker for Down syndrome. We were sent for hey, hey, can you slow down when you say that again? Because I'm sure the listeners going, he had what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he had something called a thickened nuchal translucency, which okay. is on the back of his neck. And there are a few different markers that they look for in ultrasounds mm-hmm. that could flag 
a trisomy. Um, so I believe it's trisomy 13, 15, 18 are what they're looking for at the 12 week ultrasound. And my son met the criteria for being within the risk category for that. Um, we were sent then and transferred into care to a high risk hospital with a high risk OBGYN where they did additional testing and found additional markers for conditions. Um, we went through non-invasive and invasive screening. So everything from blood work to the amniocentesis. Mm -hmm. We didn't find out until 28 weeks pregnant that our son was healthy and, and everything was going to be okay. Right. But during that period, um, between when we had announced our pregnancy and the weeks where we believed we were going to lose our son or, or have a non-viable pregnancy, I didn't know how to be a person who looked pregnant right. while dealing with all of this trauma and complications going on internally. Oh, sure. I'm going to put a trigger warning on this really quickly yeah. for any of you who are listening that have had this happen or have had problems with miscarriage or whatever. Please be careful listening to this anyway. Yeah. But who've had uh, problems um, that have either you know, been ended in tragedy. So, um, and very, very difficult traumatic circumstances for them. Yes. So, you know, we don't talk about that too much. No. Um, you know, we don't talk about the problems with either trying to get pregnant and then losing pregnancies or then problems with babies. We, yep. we tend to focus on the good stuff. And exactly. so I'm sure exactly. it was a very difficult, complicated do you celebrate? Do you, you know, what do you do? And so you've got a lot of grieving, but you don't know. I mean, it's, it's just tough. Yeah, it was, it was probably one of the worst times of my life. Um, I was 27 years old and my husband and I kind of had, we felt differently about what we would do in mm -hmm. a circumstance, depending mm -hmm. on the diagnosis. Um, my husband, as I mentioned, is an engineer, so he's very based in statistics, very much about science, very much listening to what the doctors are saying and wanting to take the recommendations and look at it through that science lens where okay. I am the mother. I am carrying this baby. I am the one who has to make the final decision on whether or not what the outcome is, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? So mm -hmm. there was that divide in my marriage along with there being a divide with friends and family who had never been through something like this before. Um, and it being a very isolating and traumatizing time as a mom. Um, so what I decided to do during that time was write a Facebook post to kind of let everybody know what we were going through. Um, and that Facebook post turned into a blog and that some of my writing eventually ended up on the Huffington Post. Mm -hmm. And um, I kind of just kept doing it because of the feedback from people saying, sure. you know what, people don't talk about this stuff enough. And I was meeting people from all over the world who had been through things that I had been through. And it was validating and reassuring. And it took away that feeling of isolation. Oh, that's wonderful. That's one of the best kind of stories about social media that you hear sometimes we yeah. you have to kind of raise a bit of a of a you know, question about how what real effect it's having, but this is a good effect where people feel connected. Exactly. And I should note that 
I did have to unfollow friends who were having healthy pregnancies. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't, it, it sounds selfish, but I couldn't watch other people enjoy a happy pregnancy, a happy, fulfilling pregnancy. Um, and all three of my pregnancies ended up being complicated. So I, now it doesn't bother me, but for the first one, I was like, I'm 27. I'm not drinking coffee. I'm not having sushi. I'm not, I'm, I'm following everything to a T. Like I am the best candidate for a healthy pregnancy. Why is this happening to me? Yes. Um, and then through work, I changed my way of thinking and was able to cope through the for future pregnancies. But for the first one, it was very difficult. You know, what I, uh, in reading the book, what I noted um, was just how transparent you were with your emotions. And you say balance is bullshit a couple of times. In the yeah. And, and, you know, you talk about having these struggles with pregnancies and just having three children in a very short period of time and being a stay-at-home mom and, and, the difficulty of that and the really the sloppy uh, just you know uh, chaotic you know life that you're living yeah and wanting to validate that and wanting to talk about that and at the same time say but I love being a mom yeah yeah <laughs> you know and I remember when I was writing about empty nest I, some of my friends would would contact me and say Margaret are you okay I mean yeah. I'm talking about yeah. this you know these yeah. terrible things and I was just trying to say, well, I just want to try to reach people that might be feeling this. As, yeah. But I also have my days that I'm just fine. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. And I think that you can love motherhood and find it to be chaotic and hard and trying and tiring all at the mm-hmm. same time. And I think that is a, and you can validate this, but I think that's normal. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And I love the, you know, I love that you said, and it can be this and it can be, it's not a but it's an, it's an and it's, it's, you know, it can be full of anxiety and full of confusion and, you know, all this kind of things. And it's it's hard on your marriage. Lots of studies show that with every child that's born, marriage satisfaction goes down. So (laughs) that's just part of it. Um, So what, what was it like? What has it been like since the book was published for you? What are you experiencing? What, what, you know, what do you think about the book? What do you just tell us a little bit about how it felt to write it and now have it being published? Yeah, I have, I don't know what to call it. If it's like oversharing fatigue or just reliving the, the trauma fatigue. Um, I actually like I went through the process of writing the book. I cried a lot while writing the book. The Mm -hmm. book came out. It hit number one bestseller on Amazon. um, It's first weekend. The feedback from people who have read it is incredible and so touching. But then I completely stepped away from social media and hibernated for like two months, which is Mm -hmm. not ideal when you're trying to sell copies of a book. Um, But I just felt like I as someone who has published bits and pieces of my story on the internet, I have now put something out there that I absolutely cannot take back. Mm -hmm. Um, And my biggest concern, and I actually had a child psychotherapist read my book before it was published was what my children would think when they were reading this, because I never want them to think that it's their fault. Um, I want them to know how loved and celebrated they are. 
But I also want them to know that when they're parents Mm -hmm. and they are feeling these sorts of things, mom gets it. And I also hope I never forget what I went through because I think so many of us look back on life through rose colored glasses and I'm already doing that now that my oldest is six. Mm -hmm. Um, And I already find myself at the grocery store looking at new moms being like, Oh my gosh, just savor the moment, enjoy it. But they're so tired and I don't want to forget what I, what I went through and contribute to that ongoing conversation that motherhood should be the best time of your life because it's okay if it's not yes it it and you know there's so much shame about you say there's shame about not loving every moment and and also you quote that 80 percent of millennial moms will report they feel like they need to be perfect and i i've done a good deal of research on perfectionism and talk a lot about perfectionism and i was not surprised yeah that by that percentage it's probably very sadly true one would think that in this day and age you know we would forgive ourselves and realize you can't be perfect but it's that sense of responsibility for so many moms is is very um strong and i love this other quote um in fact, I wanted you to explain this a little bit more. Um, I think it's my favorite quote of the book. You say, motherhood isn't what made you lose your identity. You lost it long before. Yes. So can you talk about that a little bit? Because that sounds like quite a journey. Yeah. So this is my perspective, and this is just through some of the work that I've done. But when I was floundering, in, in the early parts of motherhood and feeling like I was failing through, through whether it was not being able to breastfeed or not having a perfect home or feeling frustrated or my insecurities with my body, all of that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then when I got diagnosed with that parotid gland tumor, um, mine was actually wrapped around my facial nerves. So the risk of facial paralysis was quite high. Mm -hmm. Um, and I said to myself, if I'm going to lose my face, which is really the only remaining piece of my identity that I feel like I have left, (laughs) I have to figure out who I am on the inside Mm -hmm. and I have to heal those insecurities or I am not going to survive because Mm -hmm. at this point I was so deeply depressed from a mix of postpartum depression and just mental health issues I've probably struggled with for a greater part of my life. You didn't have the easiest of childhoods, that's for sure. Yeah. So I um, I started looking back over my life and I saw, okay, when I was 13, I was bullied. And I didn't fit in with the popular kids and I didn't feel pretty enough. And, you know, I wanted to change myself to be a part of that that group of, of kids, right? So I went and changed my clothes. I went and changed my hair. I gave away pieces of myself and then plopped pieces of other people inside of me, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, as a young girl, you know, you go through life with these insecurities from media and your peers and, and all of these expectations that you place on yourself and society places on yourself. So mm-hmm. that happened when I was around 13 and I struggled with my self-esteem as a young woman. And then, you know, I met a boy, I fell in love, I lost my virginity, 
not necessarily because I was ready, but because I thought it was expected of me when you are 18 years old and you've been in a relationship for a certain period of time. So again, gave away a piece of myself, put a piece of someone else in there and stayed in that unhealthy relationship for four years because I believed my virginity was such an important component of who I was because again, as a, as a female and as a young girl, you are told how important your virginity is. There, there's no other conversations that really come into play about what to do after you lose your virginity. Not and for, in a lot of households, no. That's yeah, true. especially I was raised Roman Catholic, so mm-hmm. not having sex in, or like you're not supposed to have sex until you got married. So right. I made a decision at 18. I think I want to marry this boy. I love him, and mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that happened. Um, I also grew up watching shows like The Swan, and I don't know if you've ever seen The Swan, but they would take these women, give them free plastic surgery. Oh, that's right. I remember this show. Make them beautiful. So that was a show I grew up with. I grew up with Girls Gone Wild. I grew up with, um, you know, Sex in the City, where, you know, thanks to feminism, females were allowed to be more sexual in media, but it wasn't for women. It was for pleasing men. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's why I feel like you get to motherhood. You are in maybe a career that your parents pushed you towards or a career that you think will bring you success or a career that's not necessarily your passion. You're this mumble jumble of other people's expectations and personalities and then you become a mom and you see life in its absolute purest form and through the most innocent lens. And you want to do better for your kids than what you had. Mm -hmm. You don't want them to grow up with the insecurities that you feel. And I feel like it truly shined this light through all of the holes that I had within me. Another quote that I actually also love is, being a mom is an integral part of my story, but childhood is the most important part of theirs. Yes. I thought that was a really lovely sentiment. Thank you. Yeah. So I feel like when I had my kids, they shine this light through all of my holes and made me realize that I needed to fill those holes back up with pieces of me. Mm -hmm. And be true and authentic to who I was in order to be the best version of myself, the happiest version of myself and raise them to hopefully do the same thing. And I know that they're going to lose pieces of themselves in life. That's the only way that we grow. But the goal is to find your way back eventually without getting too damaged in the process. Right. Yeah. You know, I I said I kind of wore three different hats. As a psychologist, I was surprised with the amount of depression and the amount of anxiety and the hyperfixation that you talk about, which actually could be a part of attention deficit. Um, I just got diagnosed with that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very much a part. People think, oh, people with ADD can't focus at all, but they also have this typically very, you know, it's a very um, common thing that they hyperfixate on something. As soon as I saw that word, I thought, I wonder if she's got ADD. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, I do. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Oh, so, you know, again, I I don't really know how to address this. I think I grew up in a household where 
I was celebrated for being this like bubbly, happy little girl. And then when I started struggling, it wasn't necessarily because of my mental health, but because of what other people were doing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually prescribed Prozac in my first year of university because I was having such a hard time. And I remember thinking, Prozac, like that's for crazy people. Like I, I you know, the, the way that Prozac and medication had been presented to you was to me Mm -hmm. was that it was for very serious conditions Mm -hmm. and I was just sad. Like I just, I missed home. I had been bullied. Like I tried to justify all of this. Mm -hmm. And then when I had my babies and, and literally wanted to commit suicide while I was pregnant, um, I thought there's something going on here. Like I, I -hmm. looked at Kate Spade and and I wondered what is that line that gets crossed? Mm -hmm will I be in control because I am losing control Mm -hmm. and will I be able to stop myself? And that's when I started therapy. That's when I started medication. That's when I started to really focus on getting myself better. So you, you did seek, I I must've missed that in the book. I, I I didn't realize that you'd actually gone into therapy. Yes. Yes. I had started therapy. Yeah. I've been in and out. I I could probably do therapy a little bit more. (laughs) Um, but you know, I have three kids. My oldest also has ADHD and special needs. So I do a lot of parent coaching therapy and therapy for my, for my son. So my therapy, unfortunately has taken a bit of a backseat, but, um, I get that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so how did you, you know, it's interesting on social media. I, I think, um, that people who, are are trying to stay away from looking perfect on social media can sometimes become the perfect non-perfect person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they can feel like I've got to put all the ugliness out there. I've got to put all the messiness, all the chaos. And did you ever feel like that that was a pressure or did you feel like, no, I'm just going to stay away from that whole perfectionism stuff? Yeah, I, you know, I ended up growing on Facebook to 20,000 followers in a very short period of time. And a lot of that was with my words and not really the photos that accompany that are kind of spontaneous and stuff like that. Sure. My, My Instagram growth has been a lot slower because I don't have a perfectly curated feed. I really don't know. Um, you know, I wake up most days, my hair's in a ponytail, I got my sweats on, my house is a mess. And while a lot of other people live that way, sometimes I share that, sometimes I don't. Mm-hmm. I only post mm-hmm. stuff that I feel called to share. I try not to put too much pressure on myself. Okay, I just kind of wondered. Let me see, what else? You also say that you had been diagnosed with PCOS. Yes. So can you talk about that a little bit? I was diagnosed with PCOS and told that getting pregnant would be a challenge for me based on the state of my ovaries. And that was another difficult thing that I struggled with is when my husband and I decided we wanted to have babies, we went to my doctor and we were told, try to conceive for about six months. Mm -hmm. And when it doesn't work, because it likely won't, we'll refer you to a fertility specialist 
after six months of trying. And then you got pregnant really quickly. Right? And I got pregnant right away. And then yes. I got pregnant eight months postpartum again. Um, mm-hmm. So it was kind of this, not only did I feel very blessed for my circumstances, I felt very guilty about being scared for being pregnant so quickly. Mm-hmm. I felt like it was too good to be true. Like there were just so many emotions that I was going through. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I, I I really could have used therapy during that time. I just, it wasn't something that was front of mind for me. And I don't know if you find that it takes a lot of other women time to come and seek support. But for me, it wasn't until I hit rock bottom that I felt like I really needed help. Well, I I think a lot of people are like that. And, you know, especially people who have been taught that you just don't talk about that kind of thing. You solve your own problems and you wouldn't open up and be vulnerable. And yeah. so uh, to wrap up, I, I wanted to ask you if you, what are the things that you think you've learned most from writing the book, from being as transparent as you have, um, you know, what would you go back and tell yourself when you were pregnant with that first baby? Or, you know, what what have you learned? What perspective? You you use perspective a lot. You talk about gaining perspective. Yeah. What is your perspective now? Um, I have a few different perspectives. I okay. think I think one mental health is still uncomfortable for people to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, even within my own circle of friends, I am the friend who overshares and talks about it all. And I still have friends who have struggled in silence for a while and mm-hmm. not talked about how they're feeling because it's just not something that they're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's okay not to feel comfortable talking about these things, but that doesn't mean that you should keep it inside and not seek the help. So I think mental health is still stigmatized. I think mental health is still uncomfortable to talk about. Um, and that's one thing I hope and continuing to have these conversations will help kind of drive some change there. Um, if I could go back and talk to myself when I was first pregnant, I mean, I think whatever I would say to myself, I wouldn't listen, um, unfortunately. And I think that's because you don't have perspective until you've been through it. So, um, however, I think for any mom who is struggling with a high risk pregnancy, struggling with shock from simply being pregnant, because that can be kind of jarring as well. Mm -hmm. Um, any mom who is struggling with their mental health or depression or perinatal depression was something I struggled with a lot as, as well. Um, it's not just seeking help with a professional. It's finding a group of people that you can come together with, feel connected with, call in a moment's notice, um, and create that village. And it does take some time. But I feel like once you start putting the feelers out there, you'll really be surprised who will come to your side and be there with a surprise coffee on your front porch or a dinner dropped off when you least expect it, but need it most. I think those were the biggest things that personally helped make me feel loved when I was going through a really hard time. And 
I, I think it would be important to add here that postpartum depression, any parent, I mean, that whole idea, is, as you talked about just, you know, at the beginning of the interview, that there's shame about it. it's not all great. I mean, it's it's it, it's it makes it more taboo yeah. to, to talk about, yes, I'm having trouble connecting with my child or or I'm. Sorry, I ever had a child, or that's yep. what I feel, you know. Yep. And then suddenly I'll be glad, but I, you know, it changes from day to day, and so yep. we have this picture of of what you know pregnancy and early motherhood is going to be like, and it's just it is so diverse for so many people, oh. and and for that yep. to be okay, you know, and to be yep. able to be to be open about it. Yeah, and I think there's two things here that are really important to note, and. One is you don't know how your childhood trauma is going to affect you mm. when you have a child. Because I think, and I notice this a lot in men, especially in my generation, they try really hard to be a better dad and father figure than they had. But then it causes a tremendous amount of stress for them because they've never had it modeled for mm -hmm. them. So that. they get upset with themselves when maybe they're not as patient with their child as they would like to be, but they're really striving hard to be the successful provider for their family. And I think there's a big hole when it comes to supporting new dads or even the second partner Great point. in a relationship um, who necessarily didn't have the baby or isn't the, the primary caretaker for the baby, but the stress for that other parent. And again, and a lot of times it's men who just haven't had that modeled for them because mm -hmm. times are changing, right? Mm -hmm. About how involved well, with gay couples. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be a woman. And exactly. A man. Yeah. It could be mm -hmm. in same sex couples as well. And even I've talked to some friends who um, are in a lesbian relationship and they have children and there's differences. They're both the mom, um, but the one mom carried the baby and the one mom didn't. And there is, different support that's given there where both of them need the same amount of help. So I think we can't forget about the other partner. I think that's really important. Um, but the other thing I wanted to note is when I was pregnant and expecting in my first time, you know, there are pamphlets about breastfeeding and appointments set up with lactation consultants and, you know, you, there's what to expect when you're expecting and there's all of this stuff there is really no information on what perinatal and postpartum depression no, feel like and seem like. And for me, I thought that meant wanting to harm my baby. I never knew because I didn't cry. I didn't have the baby blues. I didn't cry. I had a lovely two to three month period after I had a baby where I was in this like whimsical la la land. And then it hit me after that. Mm -hmm. So it was a little bit delayed. Yeah, so I, mm -hmm. yeah, so I didn't expect it to be postpartum depression. I thought there was something I was something flawed. Mm -hmm. I was flawed. I was full of rage. It was like there was something wrong with me for feeling disconnected and not wanting this when I had wanted it my whole life. And mm -hmm. as women, we're told our entire lives that motherhood will be the one sole thing in life that fulfills us. And there are so many other things in life that can fulfill us. And 
we channel all of our energy on being the most perfect mom that we forget about the other things in life that bring us joy. So I really think for expecting parents, there needs to be some better support from the very get-go from when a parent finds out that they're expecting a baby. And then in follow-up afterwards for my second and third child, I already knew that I had struggled with depression. Mm -hmm. Um, My OBGYN kind of blew it off. Mm -hmm. My family practitioner, because here in Canada, we have one of each kind of following us along. I remember my family doctor, after I had my second, would call me in every, every week being like, we just want to make sure the baby's growing properly. She was looking after me. Oh, good. She was calling me in because I was in denial. She would call me in every week. We had a standing appointment to check on the baby. And during those appointments, she would try to get as much information about my well-being out of me as she could. Mm -hmm. Until we formed this really great place in our relationship. And I'm going to cry because I talk about her in my book. She is. I remember this. Mm -hmm. She saved my life. Um, Where she became like a friend to me. And she finally convinced me because my therapist had convinced me to start antidepressants. And I said no, and I didn't go back to her. But my doctor formed this friendship with me where she convinced me to try. Mm -hmm. And I did. Mm -hmm. And she saved my life. Mm -hmm. And then I had a third baby while taking my antidepressants during the pregnancy. And even though that pregnancy was high risk and during COVID, it was one of the best experiences of my life. And I have so many regrets, and that's probably something I should work through through therapy, mm-hmm. that I didn't have that experience with my two boys because I wasn't in the headspace to be self-aware enough to know what was happening. Well, I want to thank you for your book and your time. And I, just in case this is the book, Welcome to the Jungle. And um, I, I'm so glad to have you on. And Thank you. I really thought that there were a lot of, of jewels in your book. And so um, thank you for, you know, being so honest and being so transparent. Thank you for having me. There was a lot of laughter in that segment, so I hope you enjoyed. Thank you so much for being here. I'll be back with another self-work episode on Friday, and I'll certainly hope you join me. We also have coming up our very first self-work Sundays on Instagram Live at 4 o'clock Central Standard Time. That will be again on my Instagram, which is instagram.com slash Rutherford, 4 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time. Self-Work Sundays, I'll be available to you to answer any questions, and we'll just talk together. I can't wait. Thanks again for being here on this episode. Please take care of yourself, your loved ones, and your community. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self-Work.